I'm here with Zuby. Zuby, thanks for joining me. Happy to be here, man. Awesome. So you are a successful rapper, solopreneur, and host of the Real Talk with Zuby podcast. And like so many people, I first found out about you through Twitter. And you really stood out to me on Twitter because you're someone who thinks independently and you respond with real arguments rather than ad hominem attacks. And so you're really up at the top of Paul Graham's hierarchy of disagreement rather than the bottom. And normally it's really easy to pigeonhole people on Twitter as either being on the left or the right, where if you know one of their beliefs, you can kind of predict a lot of their other beliefs, but you really don't fit into any one box. So I really appreciate you just sharing your thoughts openly on Twitter and, and through this podcast. Thanks a lot, man. I, I appreciate that. It's um, something I've been doing a lot more of over the last two years. I used to sort of very consciously avoid doing it. But since I started doing it, um, you know, millions of people have uh, been responding to it, whether positively or negatively. So, um, yeah, I'm glad you appreciate it. Thank you. That's awesome. So I'd like to talk with you today about the future of solopreneurship. And for our listeners, a solopreneur is someone who runs their own business independently without the support of co-founders or employees. So I'd like to start with why someone would choose that path of solopreneurship and why, why did you decide to create your own business rather than work for someone else's business or have co-founders or investors? Uh, you know, what was the, your thought process making that decision? Yeah, man. I mean, it's a few things. So I think the first reason why I and most people would do it is firstly out of necessity, right? So depending on what it is you do and what it is you want to do, it's simply not feasible right off the bat to for a lot of people to get serious investment or to bring partners on board or to have employees, etc. Whether that's due to not really knowing if your idea is going to work in the first place to the fact that you may simply not need them. You likely cannot, you may not be able to afford certain things. Um, so I think the primary reason for a lot of people, including myself was just out of necessity and also the desire to not want to seek anybody's approval or permission. So with me, I mean, when I started out, I mean, I started out just purely as a musician and I figured, you know what? I don't need, I don't need anybody's approval or permission to release music. Like I was independent before being independent was cool, right? You know, when everyone is called unsigned and by being unsigned, it sounded like you're waiting for a record label, right? You're, you haven't reached it yet. You haven't made it yet. And I kind of just took on board the, um, I happily took on board the independent label and I was like, oh, I'm, an, I'm an independent artist. I don't call myself an unsigned artist. I'm just like, that, that suggests I'm looking for a record deal and I, I haven't been for more than 10 years. So it's just like, you know, I don't need anybody's permission to do this. I know my stuff is good. Other people think my stuff is good. I have an audience and I have a pathway to reach that audience. So I've got what I need. I mean, if you're looking at a musician or any kind of business or entrepreneur, as long as you have an audience and you have people who are willing to, people who like your product or your service and they're willing to pay you money for it, and you can reach them, then you've, you've got yourself a business there. Um, as an artist, it doesn't matter if you're signed, unsigned, independent, major, etc. If you don't have a fan base, if you don't have people who want to not just listen to your music, but who are willing to support it financially and to come to gigs and buy merchandise, etc. to keep you afloat, then it doesn't matter what label you're with. There are thousands upon thousands of artists who are signed to all kinds of labels who I've never heard of, you've never heard of 
maybe they never even got to release their first album. Um, and I am better known than a lot of, there are lots of independent artists. There's lots of independent artists who are way better known than me, but there are plenty of independent artists, including myself, who are better known than plenty of people who are signed with record labels. And then beyond that, you've got the, you've got the creative and the business reasons for it. So in terms of maintaining your own control, whether that's in terms of decision making, creative ideas, marketing, uh, finances, etc., then the more you can hold on to yourself independently, then the, the better. Um, you don't really want to be at the mercy of other people, whether that is record labels or outside investors or, um, you know, any I think the more people you are reliant on. Um, the more precarious a situation you're you're putting yourself into from every single angle. Um, it could even compromise your own integrity. It could compromise your own creativity, right? If, I'm, if I sign to a record label and they want me to make a certain kind of music or they want me to put a certain message in my music, which I don't want to, or maybe they want me to rap on a track I don't like or collaborate with artists that I don't particularly like, etc., then what's the point of me being a musician, right? At that point, I may as well just have a normal job because I'm no longer really being creative. I'm just doing what I'm doing what I'm told to. And there are much more stable ways and secure ways to do what you're told to. But if you're going to be an artist and you're going to be a creative entrepreneur, then that stems from the whole idea of you wanting to express yourself in the way that you wish. Totally. And it also seems like there was a major shift with music and, you know, record labels is a great example where in the past it was pretty crucial to have a label to be on the radio, to be in CD stores, record stores. But now when anyone can start a Spotify account or have a podcast RSS feed, you mm -hmm. start to question like what's the real value of the label versus like the, the benefit I'm getting from it. I'll be honest, man. I don't think people have needed record labels for over 20 years. Yeah. I think that's becoming more obvious to people. But I mean, I, I started, I released my first album in 2006. I released my first album before social media before people knew what podcasts were, before streaming existed, right? Before iTunes even really had launched. And there have been independent artists in decades and decades before me. And they've always been able to, I mean, in some ways make a better living than they, than they do now. But um, if you have a direct route to your audience, like I said, then in terms of having like a, a label or, I mean, I mean, you don't need to be on the radio. This is the right. thing, like when I meet artists who are still like Chase, I want to be on the radio. I was like, why? It's just, it's because they want this sort of, I don't even like the word clout because it's so overused now, but they kind of want to check this box. They want this recognition that, oh, wow, this radio PlayStation played my music. I mean, how many artists have you discovered through the radio in the past 10 years? Like people don't discover, young people aren't discovering music through the radio. That hasn't happened for a long time. I mean, unless they're playing your song day in, day out on every single station, getting a spot radio play here and there is, is not really worth very much, right? Um, and that, like you said, I mean, there are, there are even more ways now to directly, directly reach people. You have all the social media platforms, you have YouTube, you now have um, podcasts, you've got live streaming. Of course, you still have the traditional things. You've got live shows and events. You've, got so, you've still got real world promotion. There are so many ways that you can reach people. And um, I mean, look, if you want to reach... If you want to be the next Justin Bieber or Rihanna or Beyonce, then yeah, you're going to need a major label, right? You're not going to you're not going to build that kind of audience and get access to all of these channels and opportunities without some very very serious connections and money 
um, behind you. But if you're simply trying to earn a living or even earn a, a very good living or a phenomenal living and be in control of what you're doing and be creative and be artistic, et cetera, not just in music, but even outside of that, we are way past the stage of needing needing gatekeepers. And I think that I think that's been the case for many decades. I just think that the tools are becoming more advanced and people are more and more people are slowly sort of cottoning on to the idea that, oh, wow, oh, I want to write a book. I mean, I still get I get people because I wrote and released my first book last year. Right. And um, I get a lot of people who are like, oh, you know, who's who's your publisher or how did you do this or how did you do that? I'm like, I just I just did it. I opened up Microsoft Word and I wrote a book. <laughs> I converted it. I converted it to PDF. I uploaded it and I started selling. In fact, I started selling it before I finished writing it. Um, it's almost like right? some people need permission to do something before they actually yes. do it. Yeah. And I think a lot of people, times people contact me wanting my permission. Right? And I'm like, you, you don't need my permission. If you want to write a book, go ahead and do it. Like, I'll give you the encouragement, but you don't need me to tell you that it's okay. If you've got an idea, then you can go and you can just, you can just do it. Right. I don't even, I mean, I, it's funnily enough. I mean, I've, I've, I'm at a stage now where I've now had some, uh, you know, book publishers and literary agents and stuff reach out to me and I'm open to the idea and I've had a couple meetings and stuff, but I myself, I'm not even really clear on the purpose of a book publisher. Like I don't really like my book sold over 3000 copies without even being on Amazon. And I keep right. like 99% of that. And if you look at book publishers, my understanding, it's kind of like the music industry. You're typically getting 10 to 15%. And I'm like, wait, what are you doing for me? Like what? <laughs> if you're going to help me sell like 50 times as many books as I can by myself, then okay, that math works out. But I, I don't even totally understand what the point of them is, right? Like assuming you have an audience, like I've got over half a million followers on social media. So it's not like they're going to be like, I can already reach all those people. If they can help me reach like all these brand new people who wouldn't have heard of me otherwise, then sure, that's something being offered. But um, I, I think, again, whether you're an artist, you're, a, you're an author, you're a podcaster, you're a coach, you're a, someone creating almost anything, there's so much you can do by yourself. And I think even if you did eventually want to sign some sort of deal or partnership or licensing agreement or whatever, the further along you can get by yourself, the better bargaining position you're going to be in. I mean, you ideally want to be in a position where, I mean, it's taken me a while to get there, but it's like if someone wanted to sort of own a significant part of my business or my royalties or whatever, like they'll have to give me a pretty darn good deal, right? Because I'm not, I'm not needy. I'm not, I'm going to be like, okay, well, what are you offering me? And if it's like, oh, we're going to do this and we're going to give you 10% of sales. I'm like, no. Right. Like, like, no, why would I go from a hundred percent to 10% unless you are offering me just something like way beyond my wildest dreams. And in fact, if you're offering me that, I'm not going to believe you. Yeah. It's so, like, it's like Joe Rogan doing the Spotify deal now, as opposed to when he was first getting started. He's got exactly. way more leverage. Exactly. So much more leverage, right? He could just be, I mean, it, people are even questioning. I mean, I don't know. I know hundred million is the number that's floating out out there. I don't know if that's confirmed. But, you know, someone could even ask a question. Is that even is that even enough? Like, I don't, yeah, <laughs> you no. know, like I, like, I, I don't know. Um, 
especially if, I mean, I don't know, this is super early days with that. I mean, we're just a couple days in, but what if they start censoring him or what if they start saying, oh, you know, you, you can't have this guest or I saw, it looks like some of the, um, episodes with, uh, Alex Jones and Gavin McInnes, et cetera, are not on Spotify now. So it's like, oh wait, what's happening there? Are right. they already, right? Are they already starting to sort of clamp down? And that's the part of the reason he moved off YouTube to begin with, right? Is because he had concerns around them doing that. So, you know, it's, uh, everything's a balance and there's always pros and cons to different things, but I'm a big believer in, of course, personal responsibility, self-empowerment. I'm a believer in doing as much as you can on your own. And then by doing so, like we've already said, you'll be in a better position for negotiation. You'll have more leverage. You'll understand the ins and outs. So even if you did want to bring people on board or hire people or whatever, you know, actually what you need them to do because you've been there and done it yourself. Um, and also people, people like to latch onto moving trains. So even if you did want to have other people help you or you wanted to bring people on board, people don't want to, you know, I like the analogy of, I don't know, say a car has broken down on the side of the road and the person is just sitting inside the car, right? Unlikely anybody is going to stop and help and push. If you're driving assuming you're not in a huge rush and you see you see a car stopped on the road and you see someone pushing the car, you're now more inclined to get out of your car and help them push. And then when they see two people pushing, that third person is like, oh, let me give these guys a hand. And eventually you'll within a minute, you'll have eight people all, you know, <laughs> pushing this car, one person steering, etc. But if you just see that person sitting in the seat twiddling their thumbs, it's like, OK, well, they're not they're not helping themselves. They're not doing anything. You might not even know that they need that they need help or that they exist or whatever. But if you go out there and you make some noise and you get the ball moving and you start pushing the car by yourself, you'll then start seeing more and more people want to reach out to you. Oh, now they want to interview you on their podcast. Now they want to collaborate with you. Now they want to do this. Now they want to do that. And it's because they can see your train is already moving. So it's like, yeah. oh, cool. Let's jump on board the moving train. And let's get this train moving even faster Then let's find one that's at a dead stop and try to get it moving when the person who's uh, driving it isn't even trying to get it moving. Totally. Well, I'd love to talk about how you got your train moving. And, you know, I, you mentioned that your first album came out in 2006. And I loved your podcast about an overnight success and how it actually takes years of hard work to have the opportunity to have that overnight success. So maybe for people that are just starting out, with building their own brand or their own business, you could give some some insights on, you know, the, the early days of the hard work that you need to put in to, to have that. And, you know, value compounds over time and most of the benefits of anything that compounds in value is at the end of the compounding. So I, I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, absolutely. So for, for my own personal story, so I started rapping, um, I started rapping just for fun out, out as, as a hobby. When I was in my first year of university, I was traveling. I got bored in an airport. I just started writing down some lyrics and just having some fun with it, not taking it too seriously. I got back to university and one of my friends had a re basic recording studio in his bedroom. So I'd download uh, music tracks off of the Internet and we just we just record tracks. And then once I had a few recorded and I'd received a little bit of positive feedback from friends, friends and family and stuff, eventually I reached a stage where I had enough songs to compile them together to make a you know a short album long EP 
And so that's what I did. I took I took eight of the songs that I'd made and I did um, you know, I, I took a photo. One of my friends took a photo of me, which we used for the cover. And I went online and I, you know, searched on Google. How do you how do you get CDs pressed? Right. And the very first and I just put the whole thing together myself. And the first run of CDs I did, I just made 50 copies. Right. So my first album was called Commercial Underground. I just started out with 50 copies. You know, I invested I don't know, 50 pounds. I made 50 <laughs> CDs or something like that. And I just sold them to people in my circle. My obviously people in my family wanted a copy. Um, family friends wanted a copy. My friends at university wanted a copy, etc. I sold 50 copies in probably about a week. Right. Just people I already know, people in my inner circle. And then I took that money and because I was selling them for five pounds each. So it's like, OK, cool. I've made 200 pounds profit. I went and I made more CDs and I, I, I was just selling them in an ever expanding circle. So I started out with the people very close to me. And then, of course, word spread like, oh, Zuby released a CD. Awesome. Cool. I know Zuby. I like Zuby. I'll buy a CD. And I started spreading it out there until, you know, and that, and that helped me sell my first couple hundred copies. And then I thought, OK, I've kind of tapped out people who already know me and people within my circle. What about if I just go out on the street and I start promoting my music to strangers? And that was the next step. So I used to just go out there, you know, put a put 20 CDs in my backpack go hit the pedestrianized high street and I would stand that have my headphones with me and I would just stop people you know who are within my age demographic and who potentially look like they might like my music I'd introduce myself you know nothing nothing pushy nothing forceful not like uh, you know no blackmailing or anything and I just talk to people and I'd say hey you know my name's Zuby I'm an independent rapper I'm out here today doing some promotion for my music you know what kind of music are you into if they said they like rap they like hip-hop a letter I'd be like, here listen to a couple tracks if you like it Here's my album. I'm selling these for only five pounds each. If you want to get a copy and support an independent artist, then, you know, it's up to you. Give them a listen. You know, if people liked it, then there's a, I don't know, 50% chance they'll pull five pounds out and say, you know what, man, I'll support you. Thank you. So I ended up selling over 3,000 copies of my first album doing that. Um, so that was when it was like, okay, this is something that can go far beyond a hobby. Right. Once I'd sold, you know, a few hundred, let alone a couple thousand albums, that was like, OK, there's something there's something here. I'm generating I'm generating an income for this right from this. This isn't just um, an idea in my head. This isn't just likes on social media or, you know, friends on MySpace at the time. This is people who are actually buying what I'm doing. And then I started doing live shows, doing gigs, etc. People would come to the shows. Um, you know, I started selling my I'm Down With Zuby, Are You t-shirts, etc. And um, yeah, so that was the sort of real light bulb moment. And then over the years, I mean, we're, we're talking like a whole lot of grinding over, over that, you know, ne next decade, next decade plus. But that was really how it, how it started for me. So what I always recommend to people is to start with, start with people who you know like before you before trying to sort of reach the entire world you know trial free tri trial what you're doing amongst people who are already in your circle this doesn't necessarily mean this is going to be in the long term this is going to be your sort of core audience or your core customer base or something but um if you've got a business that you want to start and you start with people who already know you and who are familiarized with you and who and who like you 
Um, and some of those people will support you just because they want to, just because they want to support a friend, right? Like if you, I don't know, you start a t-shirt company and people are like, Hey, you know, like, you know, Matamor is a friend of mine. Like, let's, uh, cool. I'll buy one of his t-shirts, right? Cause they like you, right? And it'll be easier to sell to them than to sell someone halfway across the world who's never heard of you, et cetera. That can be done. And there's a lot of ways to do that now with the internet. But I always recommend to people like, you know, start with people who are in your vicinity. If, if you're in school, start out with like your school friends. If you're at work, you know, start talk, start with some of your colleagues, start with your family, start with your friends, et cetera. And then, and then you'll, you'll at least have a decent idea most of the time if what you're doing is viable and if people actually like it and what they do like about it. Cause then you can, you can, um, iterate over time. You can make improvements. You can do things better. You can even see if, uh, is your pricing right? Are you charging too little? Are you charging too much? Right. You don't want to be underselling yourself. You also don't want to be charging so much that people don't want to buy. And so you can kind of get all of those, get all of those kinks out relatively early before you start trying to promote yourself out there to more and more people. And I'm very blessed and I'm very grateful that it's taken me so long to reach as many people as I'm now reaching because what, what it means is, you know, last year, early 2019, boom, suddenly I'm on the radar of hundreds of thousands, millions of people who I was not on the radar of just a couple months ago, right? I had that tweet go viral. I had a bunch of tweets go viral. I, I suddenly I'm getting opportunities to be on Sky News, Fox News, BBC. I go out to the States. I'm invited on the Joe Rogan podcast, Dave Rubin, Ben Shapiro, et cetera, right? If I had all of those opportunities um, a few years ago, I just wouldn't have been ready. Hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. I wouldn't have been ready. I, I didn't have the time to hone my message and to really understand what I'm about and gather my own thoughts and know what message I want to put out there and learn what it is. What is it that people like about Zuby? What is it they li like about my music? What is it they like about my personality? What is it they like about my commentary and the things I do? Like it's taken me over a decade to, and I'm, I'm still perfecting stuff, right? But <laughs> I'm now at a stage where it's like, you know what, you could put me in front of, you could put me in front of anyone, any interviewer, any whatever, and I will come across as confident and self-assured and like I know what I'm talking about, right? Um, not Again, not long ago, if it's like, okay, we want you to have it be interviewed by Ben Shapiro, we want you to be interviewed by Brett, Brett Weinstein, I'd be like, oh crap, like, I'm not ready for that. You know what I mean? <laughs> I'm ready, you know, like, yeah. like I'm, I'm not, I'm not kind of ready for that. Whereas now it's like, okay, cool. Like I can talk to any of these people and I will learn from them as much as they are learning from me. And I'm, I've sort of gone beyond just being a rapper to being respected for other things and reaching a certain level. So I've gotten that own my own confidence, et cetera. So we always want things to happen. I guess moral of the story is we, you know, including myself, we always want things to happen super duper quickly. And trust me, when I was like 18, I was like, man, I want to, I want to blow up by like 21 and I want to do this. I wanna, and it's like, man, um, you know, don't, don't try to jump the gun too hard because you want to make sure that when opportunities are presented, that you have the opportunity to, ma to maximize it, right? Before you, before you try to, before you try to bench press 300 pounds, make sure you can bench press 200, right? <laughs> if your max is 150 and someone puts 300 on the bar, you're going to get flattened. So you need to, so you need to build up, you need to build up to it 
so that you can, you know, keep pushing yourself out of your comfort zone a little bit. And then over a long period of time, three years, five years, 10 years, 15 years, you'll then just be so much more prepared mentally, physically, even, even emotionally. Right. I mean, I get a lot of questions now cause like I'm, I'm very prominent on social media. I mean, just my Twitter does like 100 million impressions a month, which is insane. Um, so I get a lot of love. I get a lot of praise. I also get all kinds of hate, insults, abuse. I get all this horrible stuff every single day. And I get a lot of people like, man, dude, how do you, how do you even deal with that? And I'm like, man, it's been, again, it's been a slow build <laughs> over the past 13, 14 years. So whether it's praise or it's criticism, I can deal with that without going like psycho and becoming depressed and whatever. Totally. Yeah. That reminds me of this story of Picasso when he was uh, somewhat, you know, when he had achieved some level of fame, he was in a cafe doodling of a woman and the woman came up to him and was like, Hey, could I buy that from you? Like how much? And he's like, you know, $5,000, which was a ton of money in the time. And she's like, $5,000, but it only took you 10 seconds. And he said, no, madame, it took me a lifetime. Yeah. <laughs> that, same, that same notion. Um, so what would you say to someone who wants to start their own, their own brand, their own business, but they're not sure what they want to do? Like, what would you recommend for, for finding what it is that, that uh, you know, is your life's passion? Is it building a talent stack? Like, what are the elements for, for getting started? Mm. I mean, hmm. I mean, I somewhat think that it should be slightly the other way around. Like, I think that you should already have an idea and that I, and having the idea is what sort of drives you to want to go and do your own thing. Um, otherwise, I think it can be sort of just more led by ego, perhaps. So if someone is, say, working like a normal nine to five and they're just like, oh, I want to like I want to do my own thing, but they have no idea what it is they want to do, then that's not super helpful. Um, with that said, though, let me let me answer the question more directly. If that is if that is the case, I mean, you want to. I'm a big fan of sort of balancing optimism and dream chasing with reality and with market need. So I think there are a couple things you want to consider. Number one, and you need to be and someone needs to be very like raw and honest with themselves about this. So I think number one, I mean, you already touched on this is what, what are you, what are you passionate about and interested in? Right. That's part of it. Another big one is what are you good at? Mm. Right. It's, it's all good to be passionate about, um, basketball, but unless you're like incredibly amazing world-class at basketball, you're not getting into the NBA. It doesn't matter how passionate about it you are. You have to be incredibly good, right? You might be passionate about dancing, but are you an incredible dancer? If not, then you're not going to be a professional dancer. So you have to, you have to temper the passion with, okay, but what are you, what are you good at? And then the third part is what do people want and value, mm. right? Cause if you're talking about a business rather than a hobby, here's a big one. You also want to think, are you, are you talking business or are you talking hobby? Cause those take two different hats. Cause once you're a hobby, all you need is number one. All you need is to be passionate. Yeah. Right. So if you want to just play basketball as a hobby, you want to play, um, you want to swim as a hobby, you want to do weightlifting as a hobby, 
absolutely fine. There's nothing wrong with that. You want to be a, a you know, play guitar as a hobby? Totally fine. There's nothing wrong with that. If you want to be a professional guitar player, you're, 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 that's a huge chasm. The gap between being a hobby hobbyist guitar player and being a professional guitar player, it's not small. It's not minor. It's huge. So you want to understand, like, which of those do you actually want to do? Um, and there's far less pressure doing something as a hobby because you don't need to worry about earning money from it. But if you're worrying about earning money from it, yeah, you need to be considering, am I good enough or can I get good enough? And you need to consider, do people, do people want this and value it? Um, if you are incredibly good at something and you're incredibly passionate about something, but there is just very little market demand for it, at least in an economic sense, like it's not something people are willing to, to pay for in any way, shape or form. And you know, there's no real easy, clear way to monetize it. Then that's not going to be, that's not going to be a, a viable business. Um, so ideally you want to be able to hit all of those three. So ideally you want to have something that you are very passionate about and interested in and you are very good at or have the potential to get very good at. And there is some sort of market need or demand for it. If you can hit all those three, then you will live a very happy life. And it almost seems like if you, I also want to talk about authenticity because that I think that's really one reason why so many people are drawn to you. And it almost seems like people who do this really well, they self-actualize where what they're good at, what the needs are. They kind of go out in all directions. Like, you know, someone like Sam Harris is into neuroscience and meditation and whatever else, whereas Joe Rogan's into MMA and hunting and all this other stuff. And you've got music and, and you know, social issues and... So how do you think about authenticity and the importance of that in building a personal brand and in even building a, a biz, traditional business? Mm. I think authenticity is incredibly important. And it's it's certainly one of my pillars, not just of, um, you know, any type of personal brand, but just just my life, you know, my own the way I conduct myself in the real world and online is being authentic and honest and true to myself is incredibly important and it's something that people value and respect i mean a compliment i get a lot is i don't agree with everything you say but i love i respect you and i love the fact that you say it right because a lot of people just won't so and i think that's a trait people tend to admire even if they're not like a hundred percent on board with everything someone says or does or whatever if they're kind of you know keeping it real in the true sense and they're being authentic then i think a lot of people look at that and can take inspiration from it I also think that being authentic is, um, even from a business strategic perspective, um, you know, it's a, it can be a tripwire for a lot of people, depending on what authentic is for you. But um, I think it's a very good moat, right? Mm. I think because, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of rappers, there are a lot of podcasters, there are a lot of fitness entrepreneurs, there are a lot of life coaches, but. There's only one Zuby. Only one. I'm the only one. I'm the only person who can do what I do, in the way that I do it. And that can't be. I mean, someone could, you know, someone could take all my social media posts and like, you know, create some account and like start copying and pasting the stuff I put out there and trying to copy the way I rap or trying to copy the way I do this or do that. But it's always going to be inferior. And nobody yeah. can, you know, you can't out Joe Rogan, Joe Rogan. You can't out Sam Harris, Sam Harris, and you can't out Zuby Zuby because 
you know, you, you can see people who are inspired by them and who might try to sort of take some stuff from them or be like them, but it's always going to be an inferior version and it's never going to be quite as authentic. Whereas if you are just you, honestly, then no one, no one can copy it. It's like, it's like copy protection, right? It's like no one, <laughs> no, right? There's things that people can copy, but as an individual, as a whole personality, no one can totally copy that. And then also, and this is something people don't really talk about, but something I'm really seeing now, especially, is it also protects you by not allowing your audience or other people to hold you hostage, right? Hmm. So if you are not authentic, then you can end up in a very precarious situation where you are now open. We live in a time where people are talking a lot about people getting canceled, right? And I get a lot of times, oh, Zuby, are you worried about getting canceled? I'm like, I can't get canceled by my audience because I haven't cultivated the type of audience that would cancel me, right? So let, let's, 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 let, let's give a real example. So um, I'm, I, for the first, from 20, 2006 up until about 2018, I was always very like publicly apolitical. So I didn't share a lot of my thoughts on social issues, politics. I barely shared you know, anything about or let alone religion or anything like anything that was kind of like touchy or potentially contentious or polarizing, et cetera. I was like, you know what? I'm a rapper. I'm a musician. It's not my business. I don't want to polarize people. I don't want to get involved in I don't want to get involved in any of this. Hmm. And maybe that was smart. Maybe I should have kept doing that. But in 2018, for various reasons, I started to wade more into cultural conversations and go beyond just being a rapper to someone who, to be honest now, if I'm being frank with myself, I'm probably better known for my social commentary and interviews and other things like that, my perspectives on stuff, than I am directly from my music, which is, which is fine. Um, and the, so let's say for example, and I'm, I'm someone who's a, you know, I'm pretty outspoken on certain things. Like you said, I'm not, I'm not straight down the line on any one thing or another, but by Western standards, by UK, US standards, I'm more, I'm more right of center. Mm -hmm. Um, certainly, certainly than most, uh, most people in my industry, you know, most people in the music, creative entertainment world, which is ever hardcore liberal dominated. Yeah. Not 90% plus or something. At least it appears that way. It might not truly be that. <laughs> um, <laughs> and so let's say for example, that I had built my career pandering to, um, you know, pandering to more like liberal stuff, pandering to SJWs, pandering, you know, putting up the, putting up pride flags every June, you know, Black Lives Matter, using every trendy hashtag, like a lot of these celebrities and artists and whatever do, right? What if I'd done all that and then I wanted to actually be truly myself, right? I can't now. I'm, I'm, I'm like a hostage. So I'm now pretending, I'm, I'm just living a whole life where I'm pretending to support causes I don't support. I'm pretending to believe things I don't believe. I'm pretending to support political candidates and philosophies that go against what I actually believe in. Um, and by the way, there are people, there are a lot of people in this situation. There's a lot of closeted conservatives out there who, <laughs> on the surface of things, they, they, you won't even know they're conservatives, because, but they've just been playing the game so long that they're freaked out to even change because they don't want, they don't want to get canceled. They don't want to lose their audience. They don't want to lose whatever. And they've sort of built this house of cards. They, they've built their whole house on very shaky ground because now they just have to go with 
the whims of whatever seems to be popular and mainstream and you know if they don't post the black square on Instagram, you know, their fans are going to harass them because why didn't you post the black square if they don't put hashtag BLM in their Twitter bio? You know, this just happened to the guy from 21 Pilots today, right? They said, why, why aren't you using your platform to speak on Black Lives Matter? And he made a joke about it. And now he's getting like harangued by his own audience because they're like, why aren't you speaking out about black? Why should he speak out about black lives? <laughs> it's, not, it's not his job. It's not his business. It's like, it, why? Like, and why do you even care? And so... I never catered to that kind of crowd and that kind of ideology or any other that I don't like actually believe in. So it means that I now have the freedom to do and say what I, what I actually believe in. And like, there's no everyone, people in, and people in my audience, people in my followers, my followers know this, right? They know like, okay, you know, Zuby's going to be Zuby. I'll probably agree with him most of the time. I probably want to agree with him like every single thing. He's, I don't want Look, I don't believe I don't agree with absolutely everything I say. So I don't expect anybody <laughs> I don't expect anybody else to agree with everything I say or whatever. And it's like the same with, you know, people I follow, people I like, people I respect. There's no there's no there are no two human beings on earth who are direct clones of each other. So I think the best position to put yourself into and the safest one in the long term is to, you know, it comes back like you said to to authenticity because then um, of course you've got this moat where people cannot copy you, but you've also built your house on a solid foundation so that if you, um, and it also gives you room to grow and to change your mind, right? Like people's, people are not static, right? Our views change, our ideas change, you get older, you get different experiences, you learn different things. And it's like, there's nothing wrong with changing your mind. There's nothing wrong with, you know, well, I used to think this and in hindsight, I don't think that was correct. Or I had this conversation with this person and they changed my mind on this or whatever. And it's like, cool, you can, you can do that now. And, and you see it with people. Um, I somewhat had this conversation towards the end of my Joe Rogan interview, because I've been listening to his show for a, for a long time. And I remember going back a few years ago, like he used to be like very, very um, negative and antagonistic towards religion in general. Right. He was very sort of, you know, I, staunch atheist and it was like this whole religion thing is just stupid right that was that was kind of his viewpoint and after having a lot of conversations with different people some atheists some agnostic some religious etc he you you've seen joe rogan himself he's as a grown man you've seen him sort of evolve and become more open-minded on some of these things so even if he doesn't you know it's not like he's like converting to catholicism or something but it's like he can understand now why someone would believe this or the value that they get from it or this or that. And it's just a much more open-minded, empathetic perspective. So you might have some people who are like, oh, I don't like the fact that he's become more open-minded on this thing or whatever. But it's like, no, that's a good thing. That's room to evolve. You can do that. And, and it's normal. Like I'd, I'd imagine and, you know, I'm hoping I keep my podcast going for the next 10 years and you know, in 10 years, I might listen back on some of my old podcasts and be like, oh, like, nah, I was I was not right on that one. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, like, I'm the same way. <laughs> exactly. You know, my thought has changed on that or whatever. And and that's fine. You know, that's that's growth. So I don't think you want to paint yourself into such a small, such a small corner and echo chamber that you're just locked. You're just locked into this thing. And you can't even kind of look at yourself in the mirror, honestly, because you're just faking it every day and you're putting out stuff you don't really believe in. And you're just doing stuff to appease people and to make people happy. And you know that 
if you veer out of that, that they're going to get mad. And it's not a situation I'd want to be in. Yeah. You also made this distinction in one of your tweets about being woke versus being awake. And it seems <laughs> like wokeness might be fall into the tribal category where it's like, you know, you check the list of all the beliefs, whereas being awake is is really taking each issue independently and thinking about what what you think about that issue. And like you said, maybe you change your opinion over time as you gain new experiences and insights. Yeah. Before we go into some of the future predictions, I'd like to get a sense for how you manage your time, you know, how you've actually built your business. Are there any tools that have been really helpful for you? What's a day in the life for Zuby? Yeah, man. Um, I don't use that many tools. I probably should use more. <laughs> um, I, and I also do too many things. Like I actually, I don't recommend people have as many job titles as I do because it, it's uh, it's a bit much. But um, I tend to, because I do a lot of things, I tend to focus different days on different things. So mm. as we're recording this today, today has been like a podcast day for me. So today I've been primarily doing podcast related things, whether this is um, seeking out new guests or doing some editing on previous episodes or reaching out to potential sponsors or uh, recording podcasts, whatever the case may be. And then I can have a day where um, I might be like, you know, Monday, I'm just focused on music. Monday, I want to I want to work work on some writing. I want to update my music accounts. I want to promote some of my songs. I want to do this. I want to do that. And then I can have a day where it's like, okay, I'm focused on, um, you know, promoting my book and I'm going to post some fitness related content. I might run a sale. Um, I might do this. I might do. So that's how I tend to do it. Cause once I'm in, um, my brain has different modes. So once I'm kind of in one mode, I don't like to go back and forth mm -hmm. between lots of different ones. I don't like to have one day where it's like, okay, two hours, I'm going to work on my music, two hours, I'm going to do podcast stuff, two hours, I'm going to work on my book, two hours, I'm going to work on my, it's like, no, I'd rather just dedicate a day a day to it. And then in terms of my keystone habits, like going to the gym is, has been my, a keystone habit of mine for like over 15 years. So that is something that, you know, going to the gym is that sort of just sets the day in, in motion for me. So I train, I train in the morning, I train fasted. Um, I normally will wake up, I'll get a little bit of work done and then I'll go to the gym, come back and then I'll have sort of the rest of my day planned out. But yeah, in terms of tools, there aren't really many, many tools I use. I just, um, over time, I've just worked out how to work pretty efficiently and to kind of take a task at a time. And, you know, I just, uh, I kind of just in the morning or the day before I kind of, I plot out my to-do list. I'll normally have like one to two major things per day that it's like, okay, I absolutely want to get this done. And then I'll have a bunch of like smaller ones. Um, I don't, I don't like to overload it. I don't make a to-do list of 30 things and I keep it to like, I don't know, five or six per day with one or two being like, okay, this is, this is critical. Um, and yeah, that's generally been, been working for me thus far. Um, I'm certainly getting to a stage where, yeah, I think I need to have more processes and potentially a couple more people to help me with various things. But I'm sort of playing it by ear and I'll grow and expand as and when is as and when is needed. There's not really a blueprint for it. Yeah, that's great. And that's similar to how Elon works. He does a couple of days at SpaceX, a couple of days at Tesla. So I think that's good just for mental clarity and focus. Yeah. Uh, so I'd like to ask you some 
rapid fire prediction questions on the future. Okay. Uh, awesome. So the first one, as it relates to jobs in the economy, there's an Oxford study that found that 47% of today's jobs will disappear within the next 20 years uh, as a result of automation and AI. How big of a problem do you perceive as, uh, you know, unemployability being? Wow. Um, the optimistic side of me says that I don't think we need to be too concerned because this this does happen, right? This This is something that happens, but when ever new technology comes, it brings with it new opportunities. It closes out some of the old ones, um, but it brings new world. It creates new worlds. You know, what was what was podcasting 15? What was podcasting 20 years ago? Like, what's right. what even is that? Right. What was um, selling ebooks on Twitter? Like, what are you talking? You know, like mm-hmm. there are so many th- ways that people what was being a YouTuber, right? Yeah. <laughs> being a, being a being a professional gamer. So uh, new opportunities have come along. And there are a lot of people, millions of people now who are doing jobs now that did not exist 20 years ago. So just like that, 20 years from now, there are going to be a whole bunch of jobs, some which maybe we can predict, a whole bunch that we can't even predict, which people are going to be doing that no longer, that, that don't exist currently. And there will be some things that people are doing currently, which sort of fall by fall by the wayside. So I think that as long as people can as long as people can sort of keep moving and adapt and be willing to learn and be willing to see where the tide is going, then my optimistic side says, look, human beings, we've been around for a long time. We're extremely adaptable in, in all senses. Normally, whenever there's a doomsday prediction, it does not, it does not manifest in the way that the most pessimistic it's people in society think that it will. Um, I think we've really seen that this year. So, my overall view is, yeah, I, I, I don't think we, I think we need to be um, aware, but we should not freak out about it. And let's say you are the president of the United States or the prime minister of the UK. What policy would you enact? In terms of policies, look, I think that the, I think that the education model needs to be quite radically changed. Like I'm not a big fan of radical change, but I think that the education model is so far behind, like decades behind where we actually are now. And I think that, firstly, I think it's crazy that there's no fight, barely any financial education and very little education about like health, nutrition, physical fitness. I think, um, I mean, I I think those gaping holes are evidence that they don't want us to know that stuff. (laughs) Um, I think that those are two things that certainly need to be addressed, getting people more financially and health conscious and literate and educated. And I also think that both the school system and the university system, it's all geared towards employability. It's all geared towards getting a job, right? Mm. Getting a job. Like, what about making a job? What about creating a job? What about being an entrepreneur? Why, why are you just learning how to get hired by a company? Like why, even at university level, even at great universities, it's all like, you know, you can go here and then you can get this job. And in this job, it's like, why isn't, why isn't there more of a focus on teaching people how to generate income and value and to sell their own products and services or start a company or be an entrepreneur or be a freelancer, whatever it is. That is how I would, I would push for things that 
change that. In terms of specific policies, I need to think about it more, but I would certainly look to change the general curriculums so that there's a lot more self-starting entrepreneurship, just thinking outside this little box of go to school, go to university, get a job, become an employee, and be an employee for, the, for my whole life, right? Teach about investing, both financially and investing in yourself. Teach about how business works, how you can start a business, how do taxes work, how, what's a mortgage, how do loan, like all of that stuff, which even most adults, even very intelligent, well-educated adults don't know like people should be equipped with that stuff by the time they're in their early 20s and it's quite a disaster that um we're not and i think we see the consequences of that yeah i couldn't agree more you know learning to be a cog in the machine is less valuable than learning how to build your own machine and that's yeah. really what the world needs right now okay next question this is one of my one of my favorites by what year do you predict machines will be smarter than the average human I hope it never happens. <laughs> honestly, that's, I don't, I hope it doesn't happen. Honestly, like that would, that's a terrifying thought to me. Do I really, really hope it won't hope happen, that happen or you just hope it won't? Man, I don't even know. I mean, I think it'll happen in certain things, but I think that there are, I think that there are some things that humans, that, that can't really ever be replaced. Um, and like I said, I don't I don't know why we would even want to. And I don't think it's a good idea. Like I'm someone who thinks that they're actually this might be the conservative side of me, but I think it's sensible. I don't think that just because science can do something that we should always do it. Like I don't think that I think science should really like push a lot of boundaries and we should experiment with like there's a lot of cool stuff that can be done and achieved. And there's way, way, way more room for growth. But I don't think that we should. um I don't think that just because science can potentially achieve something, we should necessarily strive to achieve it. Um, I don't know. That That's kind of my thought. And I know there are some people who strongly disagree with that and they just think that there's absolutely no limits and there's no whatever. I think that there are a lot of ethical concerns and moral concerns and yeah, just stuff that we should be, um, that we should be careful with. Whenever human beings start playing God to like a ridiculous degree, I, I get very nervous around that. So when I see stuff like people trying to become immortal and the stuff, I'm like, no, let's not go there. Or like trying to like, you know, clone your consciousness into another bike. There's some stuff I'm just like, I don't see this going well. Like I, I, don't, <laughs> I don't, or yeah, like you it's said, like every making, Greek make, myth warned us about trying to do yeah, that. Yeah, like you said, you know, making machines or robots that are better and stronger than us and smarter. Like, why would they not just genocide us? Like, you know what I mean? Like, why, why, what would be their purpose for keeping us around? Like, why? Like, why would they even keep us around? And unless you can program some supreme morality and ethics into them, then I don't know. There's a lot. There's a, that's a whole can of worms right there. I mean, if you think even robotics and AI, right? If you took it to a pretty advanced level, I mean, robotics are already a pretty scary level if you look at it. But um, I don't know what um. Should a robot defend itself? Right? Like if you if if you have a robot which is like like similar to and perhaps indistinguishable from a human being, should they have rights? Should they vote? Can you marry them? 
Um, should they defend themselves? What if you want to turn the robot off? Does it have a right to protect itself from you doing so? And, you know, like, there, I just think there's a whole, like, ethical, moral can of worms there. Well, this gets into my next question, which is, okay. <laughs> do you think machines can become conscious or that if they reach a su uh, sufficient level of intelligence and complexity that they would have consciousness necessarily? Um, my answer is no. And I think that's probably rooted in my religious beliefs. Right. I don't think that as far as much as human beings play God, I don't think that consciousness itself can be. I think you could probably make really good artificial intelligence that mimics consciousness. But I don't think that true consciousness can be created by humans. Hmm. I don't think so. I, I just think that's a limitation. What about empowering humans with machine intelligence like Elon's Neuralink? Uh, could you ever see yourself, if they perfect the technology, getting a Neuralink implanted in your own brain so that you can have conceptual telepathy? Nah, <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to be the one for that, man. You know, maybe, maybe my descendants can uh, decide if they want to <laughs> decide if they want to. But uh, in my in my own lifetime, right. I don't see myself. I don't see myself doing that. Awesome. What new technology or innovation are you most excited about us potentially building or achieving in the future? Oh, wow. Um, that's a great question. Um, I, I, well, I'm not certain, but I'm, I'll give a general answer, which is that I would like to see stuff that actually genuinely improves the human experience not makes it worse or, you know, like, like there's a lot of technologies. I mean, even in the last 15 years, take, take an obvious example, you know, smartphones and social media. Have those made, have those made us better or worse? I'm, I'm tempted to say worse, like as a whole, right? Not, not individually. I think my people like myself and yourself, like we probably net more positives the negatives from, you know, social media and that technology and being able to do what we're doing right here and stuff. But for billions of people, I'm not convinced that social media has made the world better or has improved humanity. Um, in fact, I'd probably say, and I think quite a lot of statistics would, would suggest that it's actually made people worse off. It's made people more lonely. It's increased, seems to have be strongly correlated with increased anxiety, depression, Mm -hmm. suicide, self-harm, whether this is, you know, women and girls feeling bad about their bodies or, you know, men feeling like they're inadequate or people just like screaming at each other all the time, increased political polarization, all that kind of stuff, you know, despite the potential for it, you know, and, and, and may, maybe this is just because it's really new and we haven't yet worked out how to kind of kind of deal with it properly um but what i would like to see is stuff that like uh, clearly and sort of more objectively genuinely makes life better for people not just not just easier but better more fulfilling some, more fulfilling yeah and i don't know i don't i don't know what that would be um I, it's something i'd really have to kind of think about for a while 
But um, that's what that's what I'd like to see. I, I'm I don't know. For example, a lot of people are really excited about like virtual reality, and I think that's interesting. And I, I I like messing around with VR in the few times that I've done it. But I'm I wouldn't want some sort of Ready Player One scenario where we we all end up just being like obese blobs who sit in our house with a, with a headset on and we live our entire lives and our relationships and our romantic relationships and our everything we do is actually happening in some sort of matrix whilst our bodies are just kind of sitting there decaying um it might be fun in a weird way but i don't think that would be like a net positive for the human species um so, yeah, I, d I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is. I just think whatever it is with technology, we've always got to be um, – I think with technology, we've always got to be careful not to lose our humanity um, amongst it, right? Allow technology to enhance, enhance our lives and enhance us rather than control us or, or, or make us worse. And I think that's always um, – especially at the stage we're kind of reaching now with you know information technology and stuff like that. I just think that's something we need to be just very cognizant of. Yeah. Well, let's flip it around. What do you think is the biggest threat to human civilization? Oh, wow. Um, it's always been humans. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's always been humans. Like Humans are the best thing and the worst thing in the world. Yeah. Um, is, so... it the tr is it the tribal tendencies of humans? What, what is it about us that's so dangerous? That's a great a great question man you know tribalism is a part of it it has its pros and it has its cons but um you know the the fact that we're all capable of great good and great evil right mm. it's a that's like a it's pretty deep philosophical thing right like we we are that's just the reality you just take a take a cautionary glance at history like any right. any time period of history um, or even now, if you look at certain parts of the world or certain things that happen, it's like, you know, evil is real. Um, regardless, you know, evil is a evil is a real thing. And we are all we're all capable of it, which is scary. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I don't I think the, the greatest threat is always the fact that I, I think the greatest threat, and I think we've we've seen this this year. I think this has been a really insightful year in many ways. And I think it's important to know that. Stuff can go from like stuff can go from like good and civil to sort of crazy and seemingly uncontrollable and very difficult to understand very, very rapidly, especially when people are scared. Like when human mm. beings are like afraid and they're in like large groups, like Lord knows what can happen. Right. There's so much. You've seen that all this year, right, from the, the, the pandemic and the panic and the way people responded, you know, it's fighting each other over toilet paper and they all <laughs> gun yeah. sales like gun sales rocketing up in the US people burning buildings looting rioting like whoa like you, we've just you know people calling their neighbors calling the police on their neighbors cuz they are sunbathing in their garden like you know, people getting arrested for violating for standing too close to each other not wearing masks and like it, it last I mean just last year if someone told you what 2020 was going to be like you'd be like what are you talking about like come on like this that's far-fetched like that's gonna, they're not going to do that you know that you talk, like entire states in the USA are going to be like on lockdown and if you leave your house or you open your business you're facing potentially being arrested and probably like that can't happen that's America like, we don't live in 
you know like so yeah yeah and you know seeing these videos of people fighting in the street and like all this crazy stuff so again um i'm very much an optimist like in the last couple minutes i've probably sounded quite pessimistic but i'm very much an optimist i just think like human beings always need to just be just be vigilant of like our own our own dark side like be vigilant mm -hmm. be very be very conscious of our of our own good side and do everything we can to promote that and help each other and build things and lift people up and encourage each other, et cetera. But also just be aware that like, oh, wow, you know, stuff can go sideways for all sorts of different reasons. Um, and we just need to be like, we need to be aware of that and recognize in ourselves and other people when it's like, okay, that, that dark side is, that dark side is, is, is coming up and we need to be careful with that, especially in fact, especially as technology gets better. Right. You know, <laughs> we got nukes now. So hopefully that means there's never going to be a World War III, because if there were, the consequences could potentially be far worse than there were with World War I or World War II. But technology is going to keep on advancing and, you know, we're going to get we're going to come up with better and better ways to kill each other. <laughs> and like, so, so we just you like, yeah, we, autonomous we'll, weapons are terrifying to think. There's about. all sorts of terrifying stuff. Yeah, exactly. So it's like we just need to be, um, you know. If someone like has watched Black Mirror or something like this, this is probably that's why Black. Have you do you watch Black Mirror? Yeah, I love that show. Yeah, that, that, I think that's why it's so interesting, right? Because it's it's far fetched, but it's not that far. It's like, right. It's like you. It's you, like you can wow, actually this is gonna be like two years from now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you can literally see everything in that is like, oh crap, like that's that could that could actually happen. That's not like so far fetched that like I can't imagine that. It's like okay, that that could happen, and we're kind of getting to the technology where that could happen. Um, so yeah, that's, that's my thought. You know, I think, um, the, the, the most encouraging thing, but also the, the greatest threat is always, is all, is always humans. Um, I'm not so, I'm not really so concerned about anything environmental or, you know, sure that could happen, but yeah, I, I think, um, human, humans are, <laughs> humans are, are most likely to be the cause of human extinction. So we should be careful. What would you say is the worst case scenario for the future of solopreneurship? Worst case scenario. Hmm. The worst case scenario. I don't really see one. I don't really see one. I think it's going to continue to to grow, and more and more people are going to sort of move into it and be able to to flourish. Um, I think the question is, to what degree? And to how many people, you know, how many people are going to get involved and how many of those people are going to be successful. Um, I think the worst case scenario is that it's not as many as it could be or I may like it to be. And I think the best case scenario is, um, you know, a lot, you know, millions and millions more people, not just in the Western world, but in the, in, you know, current developing countries, et cetera, realize all the opportunities out there and we form a better I don't know, I guess global market of ideas and services and products. And we've just kind of got all these little mini economies everywhere, which are all interconnected and people can all help each other out and people can find what they're looking for. Um, I think that's, I think that's going to happen. I, one area where I would love to see this happen, actually, we kind of touched on this is education. Um, I'd, I'd love to see over the next couple decades, I'd love for the way people learn and get accredited i think the accreditation is the big one um assuming that's considered even important in some time um i think that's 
a huge area where there's just a lot of potential for stuff to to really change. Um, I don't think the digital revolution has really happened properly in education yet in the same way it's happened in lots of other industries. Yeah. Um, and what's your, what's your best case scenario? So I, I also like, I'm curious if you have thoughts on, there was this book called bullshit jobs where they talk about the rise of all of these jobs where you basically are waiting until it's 5 PM and you're like scrolling through Facebook and maybe you get like an hour or two of actual work done, but really it's more work theater. And it does seem like since the pandemic started, a lot of those bullshit jobs have fallen away and people are now creating things that have more value. So mm -hmm. I'm curious of your best case scenario for the future with that in mind. Best case scenario. Yeah, I think um, I think the best case scenario, like I kind of touched on, is more people being able to firstly, I think uh you know, more people being able to work from home or work with flexible hours, just more flexibility, mm -hmm. right? Again, I think the idea of everybody or most people needing to commute sometimes a couple hours to get into a workplace and sit in traffic and be in an office between some fairly arbitrary hours, et cetera, I think that's an increasingly outdated, outmoded idea. I think it's absolutely necessary in certain things in certain industries and sectors, but for a lot of them, it's not. And we've we've kind of been forced to find out that it's not. Mm -hmm. I, mean, I I realized this a long time ago, but for <laughs> people who are, who are who are really in that world, perhaps they didn't. But now people are saying, oh, okay, we can do Zoom meetings. We can um, have more flexible work schedules. We can communicate. You know, we can do video calls. We can do this. We can do that. So I think um, I think the pandemic on the plus side has accelerated that and I think people are a lot more comfortable with it so I would like to be I'd, I'd like to see people like I'm very pro-family and I'd like to see people you know husbands wives parents fathers mothers children I'd like to see families actually be able to spend more we've had these last couple decades where it's sort of been the norm for parents to you know spend so much time away from their children and to some to some degree have them be raised by other people or other organizations etc I'd, I'd love to see a, a situation where you know what like families can spend more time together and parents can see their kids more and kids can see their parents more and everyone is still people are still working and earning money and being productive and so on and so forth but it's a lot more flexible and it's sort of generally better for people's mental health and physical health and relationships and all that kind of stuff. That that's an area where I think the the technology, um, rather than being something that's like a potential danger, could you know offer a real, a real big upside. You know, yeah. think, think of think of people who I mean, how many how many fathers and husbands around the world, or you know even mothers, but more more likely men, are just spending like I don't know. You might be spending ten hours a week just commuting, and then. I don't know, 40 hours a week in an office that you don't necessarily need to be in away from, you know, by the time you see your kid, maybe you get to see your kids like one hour a day or something like that. Like I'm not even a parent myself yet, but I kind of just look at that and I think, man, that's, that's a shame, you know? And if you listen to what parents say, like most parents want to spend more time with their kids. Most kids want to spend more time with their parents. They don't want to be missing all that time. Um, so hopefully that that can balance out a little bit, whether it's, uh, you know, people going into the office, 
I don't know, even three times a week is better than five, you know? Right. <laughs> um, that may help with the education side too, where you can sort of learn yeah. from what your parent does and actually see them at work rather than it's like this mysterious office that you never get mm -hmm. to see. Yeah, exactly. So I think that's uh, I think that's a potential positive that I could see coming, see coming from this stuff. And then even for young people, um, so many people are graduating and they're, they're you know the job market is difficult and especially right now I don't imagine companies are wanting to hire a whole bunch of people. But I'd love to see people be able to be take this opportunity to okay you know I'm going to learn new skills I'm going to learn how I can use this internet thing not just to consume but to produce and to monetize and to be able to offer something to other people and help others and earn an income through that, et cetera. Um, a lot of us have learned how to do this over time and I'd love to see more people learn how to learn how to do that so that they can have their laptop with them or their smartphone with them and they can, they can earn money from it. They can create cool stuff with it. And, um, rather than it just being this sort of source of amusement and consumption, have it be a source of um, income and production. Yeah, that's great. Well, let's bring it home with the most likely scenario. Most likely scenario. Yeah, I think um, I think there's going to be some growing pains. Like, I think it's going to take a little while for people to, you know, human beings are very, are very much herd animals. And I think it's going to take a while for people to sort of recognize that the game has changed and is changing. Hmm. Um, you know, some people worked this out 10 years ago. Some people worked it out 20 years ago. But I think most people are still locked into things being the same as it was for their parents or for their grandparents. And it's like, no, it's not. And, and it hasn't been. Right. Um, you know, your, your grandparents probably could have, you know, your granddad could probably just, okay, I'm going to just work in this field, work in this industry and just do that job for like, decades and retire and boom done like very simple whereas i think for from now and in the future it's going to be a lot more a lot more dynamic and flexible and you know bouncing around and doing this and doing that and not just having one i think even just the idea of having one source of income mm. again is 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 dangerous right it's a precarious situation we've seen again we've seen this this year right people lost their people lost their job boom oh, zero 100 percent of your income is now gone right I'm a musician. I haven't been able to do a gig this whole year. But I've made more money this year than I've already made more money in 2020 than I did all of 2019. Despite the fact I haven't been able to do a single gig or a single live event. Right. Yeah, it's more so, anti-fragile having multiple streams. Far more anti-fragile, right? Because I do a lot of different things. So I've still got so, OK, I, I get that one source temporarily shut off. But there's cool. Like there's all this other stuff I can do in which I can, in fact, double down on because I'm not doing that other stuff. So I can keep that going. I have other musician friends where they make most of their income from live shows. So, and I don't, we still don't even know when that's coming back, right? It might not be till mid 2021 that people do can do live shows and music festivals and all that kind of stuff again. So if that's all you rely on, you're in trouble. Or if you've just got like, you know, a standard job, you're employed and then you're, you know, something happens and you become, you become made, made redundant, then Again, that's a precarious situation to put yourself in. And I don't think there's anything wrong with having like a main source of income. But I think look, everybody, I think everybody should have multiple sources of income. I don't think that yeah. should just be something that's for like the crazy entrepreneurs out there and whatever, which is how it's looked at right now. Like, oh my gosh, this person has five sources of income. It should like not everyone should have like at least two, you know, ideally three or four. They don't all need to be um, 
making tons, but if you can learn how to make, you know, even an extra couple hundred a month, and maybe you can do that from a couple different things, then, um, then that's valuable. And I think, um, uh, yeah, I, th- I think, I think it'll take a while still. I, uh, it might be more than five years before that fully clicks for people, but I think eventually we'll get to a stage where that's no longer like such a niche idea and thought and something that's seen as like really sort of mind blowing or radical where it eventually it kind of becomes the norm for people to be like, uh, you know, uh, this slash this slash this. Right. It seems like that would lead to way more productivity too, because a lot of times with an employer, it's like, I reserve the right that you can't do other work, even if yes. you know that you'd be able to handle other work and do other side projects. So mm-hmm. I could see an explosion in like productivity and innovation, whereas productivity has been pretty stagnant over the like last few decades. So yeah. definitely hopeful. Well, yeah. Zuby, thank you so much for, for taking the time and, and sharing your thoughts and your experiences. Uh, do you have any final thoughts for listeners and, and where can people find you? Yeah, sure. Um, like my final thought, as I always say, is just, uh, you know, do everything you can to maximize your own potential. And, um, you know, the better you can make yourself, the better you can make other people around you and the better you can make the world. So invest in yourself and, you know, work hard. In terms of where people can find me, of course, they can check out my podcast, Real Talk with Zuby, which is on all platforms. You can find my music on all the usual platforms. And um, my main website is zubymusic.com, Z-U-B-Y music.com. You can find links to everything there. And I'm at Zuby Music on all social media. Thanks so much, man. Have a good one. You too. The past, the present, and the If you enjoy thinking about the future as much as we do, we invite you to join the HTF community. Simply go to hencethefuture.com, scroll to the bottom of the homepage, and add your email address next to the button that says, Enter the Void. You can also follow us on Instagram and Twitter, at hencethefuture. And, most importantly, we encourage you to please rate and review the show in Apple Podcasts if you haven't done so already. Our team reads and appreciates every single review. Thank you again for listening to today's episode and for staying curious, and we'll see you next week.